Hi there, I'm Jillian Smith, and you're listening to the inaugural episode of Hungry for History, the podcast that'll give you all the history stories you've been craving. Because it's my first episode, I wanted to start with a cheerful, family-friendly topic that everyone can enjoy. So today I'm going to tell the story of the most famous incident of human cannibalism in history. This is not a story of generosity or of cooperation. It's one of desperation and selfishness and stupid decisions. And of course, it's also about eating people. This is the story of the Donner Party. The Donner Party was a group of families and their employees who emigrated west in the summer of 1846. When you're emigrating west, you're on a really tight time schedule, because if you don't make it through the mountains by October, you're at risk of getting snowed in. The Donner family, well, actually two Donner families, headed by George Donner, for whom the group is named, and his brother Jacob Donner, joined with the family of James Reed and left from Independence, Missouri, on May 12th. They were actually some of the last families to leave for the West, so as you can see, they were already starting out pretty badly. Pretty soon, the Donners were joined by other families. The Murphy family was headed by a widow, Lavina Murphy. The Breen family was headed by Patrick Breen, and the Graves family by Franklin Graves. Each of these families had an absolutely absurd number of children, so the Donner party was pretty big. A few bachelors and smaller family units joined as well, along with the hired hands of the wealthier families. The count for how large the Donner party was, from start to finish, varies, but I will count everyone who joined the journey and number the party at 90. And since this is my podcast, I'm always right. The first two months of the journey actually went pretty well. The Donner Party might have been totally fine, if not for this jerk named Lansford Hastings. Lansford Hastings was just some guy who had migrated west in 1842, and I guess he thought that made him some sort of expert. Hastings decided that he had found a better route to California than the popular Oregon Trail. He sent the Donner Party a letter stating that he would leave them on a brand new route through Utah, and promised that the shortcut he'd found, which he called the Hastings Cutoff, would save them a few weeks. Now, even if Lansford Hastings weren't a total douchebag, taking a route west that no one else has ever taken before is a bad idea. The ground isn't broken in, there are no trail markers, and it's likely to be overgrown with foliage. You could get lost and no one would ever find you, and you'll have to spend time breaking through the ground. The people who'd actually seen the Hastings cutoff knew this, and tried to warn the Donner Party, but their letters about the route were hidden by Jim Bridger, the owner of Fort Bridger, which was the start of the new route. Jim knew that if people took the Hastings cutoff, they'd pass through his fort and he'd make more money. Jim was a jerk. But the Donners listened to him, so they set off on the Hastings cutoff in July, and things immediately started to go very wrong. The route was steep and rocky, and it was hard to see where the trail started and ended. No problem, right? Hastings said he'd lead them through it. Well, surprise, surprise, Hastings lied. Yep, he abandoned the Donner Party and basically left them a couple of arrows nailed to trees to guide them all the way to California. That guy really sucked. The party had to clear so much brush out of the path of their wagons that they were only moving one and a half miles a day. They were starting to run out of food and supplies when they came across a letter from Hastings in mid-August. It said that there was a two-day trip ahead of them across 40 miles of desert where they would have no water or grass for themselves or their cattle. 
No biggie, right? I mean, a couple days isn't too bad. So they rested their oxen, bottled up some water, and got ready. Here's the problem, though. Hastings lied again. The Donners were crossing the Great Salt Lake Desert in Utah, which is 80 miles wide, not 40. It took them six days. Their oxen died or ran off. Some other oxen were stolen by Native Americans. Their wagons broke. When the party finally made it across the desert, they were cranky, thirsty, and really pissed at Hastings, though it was a little late for that. They finally made it back to the traditional route on September 26th. The Hastings cutoff had cost them at least a month. Now, the party is named for George Donner, but for a while, it actually had two leaders. James Reed also had a lot of influence. Reed was smart, but he was also cocky. George Donner was dumb as rocks, but he was a lot more likable. This turned out to be an issue for Reed. One day, one of the Graves family's teamsters, a guy named John Snyder, got pissed off in Knox. I don't know why. That's just a thing men do, I guess. Anyway, he started whipping the ox, and his whip hit James Reed's wife, Margaret Reed. Uh-oh. So James Reed obviously fights the guy, because that's how you solve problems when you're really, really sick of traveling with people for four months and they've just hit your wife. And James pulls out a knife and stabs John Snyder in the collarbone. This is 1846. There's no hygiene. There's no medicine. If you're stabbed, you're a goner. Sorry, John. Also in 1846, once you're west of Missouri, you're outside of the jurisdiction of the U.S. government. There are no laws, so it was up to the migrants to decide what to do with James Reed, who nobody liked. One guy, a German immigrant named Louis Kiesberg, remember him, because he's a jerk now and he'll be a jerk again later, said that they should hang him. But the party was like, nah, that's too much work. Plus, they'd all seen Snyder hit Margaret Reed. So they decided to banish James Reed, the only intelligent leader they had, to go west by himself with only his horse. He probably would have died, but fortunately for James, his stepdaughter Virginia secretly snuck him a gun and some food, so he survived. At this point, though, it was already October. That's when you want to be well past the mountains. Grass was becoming scarce, wagon axles were breaking, and oxen were dying or running off or being stolen. They'd lost a hundred cattle already and only had a few remaining. They had no food. Two German guys named Spitzer and Reinhardt secretly murdered another German guy named Wolfinger so that they could steal his money and his supplies. Louis Kiesberg, because he sucks, dumped this old guy named Hardcoop out of his wagon and made him walk. Hardcoop sat down one day, his feet swollen and bleeding, and was never seen again. Fortunately, the desert came to an end, and the party was joined by two Miwok native guides named Luis and Salvador, who could show them through the Sierra Nevada mountains. Things are going to go better now, right? Wrong. It was October 20th when they reached the mountains. Right away, a guy named William Foster played with his gun, as one does when one is smart, and accidentally shot and killed his brother-in-law, who was also named William. Whoops! Then an axle broke on one of the Donner wagons. George Donner, who was totally brilliant and totally knew how to wield an axe, decided to cut down some trees to fix it and cut his hand instead. Remember that, because it'll be important later. So, all in all, not a great start in the mountains. But things really started to go badly when the snow began to fall. Early. 
Usually, the passes in the Sierra Nevada mountains weren't snowed in until late November, but the Donner Party didn't get lucky very often. The families made it to Truckee Lake, which is now called Donner Lake, before there was so much snow they couldn't continue. In the first week of November, they were forced to make camp for the winter. Sixty people made mediocre cabins at Truckee Lake. The cabins were wooden, and they had oxhide roofs. The Donner families, though, who were really sick and tired of their companions, camped in tents five miles behind the other families at Alder Creek. Take a moment to think about that, to think about how far five miles is in the snow. That's really far away to be if you might need somebody's help. There was also no way for the families to communicate until they trekked the five snowy miles. At this point, to put it nicely, they're all screwed. They begin to starve or freeze to death. They have no food, and they're buried under so much snow that there's no chance of finding any more. What they ate was oxhide, boiled into jelly. When that ran out, the children picked apart their oxhide rugs and ate them. When there was no more rug, they ate the oxhide roofs of their cabins, making them even less hospitable. They were cold, and now they let in the damp. Jacob Donner starved to death, and three of his hired hands. The families began to collect debts from each other and forced the poorer groups to give up their oxides. The party knew that without rescue, there was no chance they'd make it through the winter. So 15 of the healthiest adults and older children set out on a mission that is now called the Forlorn Hope, so you can tell it went really well. They made snowshoes and attempted to cross the mountains. 15 went in, and 7 made it out. Nearly all of the snowshoe party survivors were named either William or Sarah, because it's 1846 and there are only like four names to choose from. The snowshoe party had gotten lost in the snow several times, and getting lost in the snow unfortunately leads to a lot of freezing to death. They were also starving. They'd had very little food to bring with them. So after a blizzard hit and the first four people on the party starved to death, the others had no choice but to eat them. Even that food ran out after a while. So the adults came up with an absolutely brilliant and racist plan. Luis and Salvador, the two Native American guides who had joined the party, had also gone on the snowshoe mission. The white settlers decided that they should kill and eat Luis and Salvador. Fortunately, one of the Williams, William Eddy, felt bad about this and warned Luis and Salvador. So quietly they slipped off and left the snowshoe group. The other snowshoers once again resorted to eating each other, but at least Luis and Salvador were safe. Right? Well, unfortunately for them, they got lost, and the rest of the party found them 25 days after the whole group had originally left Truckee Lake. Luis and Salvador were nearly dead from starvation, and so a different William, William Foster, shot them and the snowshoe party ate them. Sorry. Fortunately, though eight people had died, the forlorn hope wasn't for nothing. A few days after enjoying Luis and Salvador, the last survivors, barely alive, stumbled into a Native American camp where they were given enough food and help to eventually make it to Sutter's Fort in California, the nearest fort. They had been wandering around in the freezing mountains for 33 days. Guess who was at Sutter's Fort? James Reed. Yeah, remember him? He'd made it through the mountains to the fort in October and had sat twiddling his thumbs waiting for his family to show up ever since then, and getting worried when they, of course, didn't. 
Imagine his horror when William Eddy, starved, dirty, and exhausted, showed up in California and announced that the Donner Party was eating itself to survive. Eddie also had a wife and children to worry about, so he and James Reed started organizing rescue missions to save the settlers. Eventually, in February, the first rescue party reached Truckee Lake. They cached food along the way so that they'd have plenty to eat on their way back through the mountains. When they got to Truckee Lake, it was gross. Rotting buildings, half-eaten dead people, no toilets, the place smelled terrible, and it was a miracle anyone was still alive. The first rescue group took the strongest survivors with them because they had the best chance of making it to California. Their first food cache had been eaten by wild animals. Whoops. The second one was fine, though. They ate a nice dinner and they went to sleep. But when you've been starving for a long time, finally being around food is really exciting, and you don't know when you'll see it again. So that night, William Hook, Jacob Donner's stepson, broke into the food cache and ate so much his stomach blew up. R.I.P. William, and sorry to the rescue party, which once again had had its food eaten. They made it, though. They made it to California safely. The second relief actually fared even worse. In March, the second rescue party had evacuated the Breen and Graves families, as well as a few other children from Truckee Lake and Alder Creek. A blizzard hit, and the group split in half, with the Breens and Graves basically left to freeze and starve around a small fire in a cave. They eventually were rescued and taken out of the mountains, but not before several more people died. Meanwhile, at the camps, things were getting crazy. The last of the children and hired hands had either been rescued by a third relief party or had died. Giesberg, that jerk from earlier who wanted to hang James Reed, ate some babies. And remember how I said George Donner cutting his hand was important? Well, George was chilling at Alder Creek. He and his wife were okay, food-wise. But in the 1840s, again, medicine and hygiene were terrible. George hadn't had antibiotics for the cut in his hand. Instead of starving to death, in March 1847, George Donner, namesake of the Donner Party, died of gangrene. That left his wife, Tamsin Donner, as the only person at Alder Creek. Tamsin actually could have left with one of the earlier rescue parties, as she was healthy enough, but she'd stayed with George anyway because she loved him. Nice of her. Anyway, after George finally died, she left her tent and walked the five snowy miles to Truckee Lake. Here's how I think the demise of Tamsin Donner went down. A few days after Tamsin left George, the very last rescue party arrives at Truckee Lake. It was April 10th. The only alive person they find there is good old Louis Keysburg. Hey, Louis, they said. Where is everyone? Louis told them that Lavina Murphy had died. Okay, they said, but where's Tamsin? She was healthy. Keysburg's like, uh, I don't know. They said, okay. What's in that pot over there, by the way? And he was like, uh, nothing. The rescuers look in the pot, and surprise, surprise, there's Tamsin Donner. Or what's left of her, anyway. Keysburg had to start making up excuses, so he claimed that she'd showed up in the middle of the night cold and wet, he'd given her his coat because he was chivalrous and kind, but she'd died anyway. Seems legit, said the rescuers. But, uh, what's that pile of stuff hidden in that corner there under your coat? It was all of George and Tamsin's valuables that Keysburg had stolen. 
No one was ever able to prove that Keysburg killed Tamsin on purpose, but I think he did. At the very least, though he made it safely to California in the end, he could never land a girlfriend. Serves him right. Why is it important to study the Donner Party? Well, for one, hearing about cannibalism is always exciting. But there are some interesting things to note about who survived and who didn't. Of the 90 people who set out from independence in May of 1846, 48 survived. You'd expect that the strongest were the ones who lived, right? Actually, the highest mortality rate was among young men aged 20 to 40, of whom two-thirds died. Women, and children between 6 and 14, survived at the highest rates. Why is that? This tells us a few different things. The way women store body fat makes them more equipped for surviving long-term starvation and malnutrition than men. Men, particularly young men, and certainly in the 19th century, were far more likely to take on manual labor or dangerous tasks, risking injury and expending more energy overall. Additionally, many of the young men who were on this trip were hired hands who didn't have families of their own. This wasn't a tale of selflessness. No one shared food with them. The children probably survived because the adults fed them first. All of the Donner, Graves, and Murphy parents died, but children from each family survived. There's a lot to learn from the story of the Donner Party. Don't leave late for a long, perilous journey. When random guys push alternate routes on you, don't listen to them. And for goodness sake, if you're going to cross the Sierra Nevada in winter, bring more food. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hungry for History. Please go to my website, historyhunger.wixsite.com home to learn more about the Donner Party and Westward expansion. Our next episode will take you back in time to 16th century England. See you in a little while.